Welcome to New Cities Sermon Podcast. Join us as we root deep in God's Word, expecting to be encouraged, challenged, and formed to be more like Jesus together. Let's get into the scriptures now. There's something about being home, where everything's just right. We're surrounded by people we love and trust. There's a feeling of stability and safety. And while some people get to experience this kind of home, many do not. Others might even be forced to leave their home and go live in a foreign land. We call this going into exile. Yeah, in exile, everything is disoriented. You're in the unknown. And in the story of the Bible, this is where the ancient Israelites found themselves conquered by Babylon, living in exile, far from their homeland. And so they had to ask themselves, how did we end up here, and is there any hope of going home? And the whole story of the Bible is designed to address those very questions. The whole story? Really? Yeah, go back to the first pages of the Bible. Where does humanity live? Okay, they live in this really sweet garden, their home. And they're there on one condition, that they trust and follow God's one command, and they don't. And so the consequence is banishment from the garden. Ah, they're sent into exile. Exactly. And so this story has been designed to set you up for Israel's story, how they were given the gift of the promised land and were able to stay there on one condition, that they be faithful to the terms of their covenant relationship with God. Uh, They didn't, and they were sent into exile. And if you still don't see the parallel between exile from the garden and exile from Israel, think about this. In Genesis, humanity's exile led up to the story about the building of what city? Oh yeah, Babylon, the same place the Israelites are sent. But that's not the end of either story. In the first Babylon, God called Abraham to leave and travel to the Promised Land. And that story was designed to give hope to the Israelites currently living in the later Babylon. Now eventually, they do get to leave and travel back to their promised homeland. And when they did, It wasn't home sweet home. Oppressive empires were still ruling over them, and the people kept acting in the same corrupt ways as their ancestors. And so the biblical prophets said that exile wasn't actually over. How could they think they were still in exile when they're at home? Yeah, this is really important. In the Hebrew scriptures, Israel's Babylonian exile became an image of something more universal. It's that feeling of alienation and longing for something more, no matter where you live. Yeah, I I can relate to this. I have a great home, but it's situated in a world scarred with pain and broken relationships, death, tragedy, done by others, but also done by me. And so in the Bible, exile is the human condition. We all keep repeating this pattern of human corruption leading to a Babylon that we can't escape. And it doesn't matter where you live, we are all longing for a better home. Jesus also claimed that Israel and all humanity had lost its way, that our self-centeredness drives us to create false homes based on status and power, and these inevitably exclude others. We live in an exile of our own making. But Jesus said the true way home is one of weakness, of service, and of forgiveness. And then, Jesus went into exile alongside us to show us the true way home. Which is? Well, Jesus said he is the way. 
His life and self-giving love proved more powerful than humanity's failure. He opened up a pathway to our real home. And as Jesus' followers committed themselves to him, they discovered this new way of being human. They believed that the real return from exile had begun. And so they would call themselves sojourners or wanderers. Oh, right. They would say things like, the world isn't our home and we're citizens of heaven. And so Jesus' followers remain exiles as they wait for that day when Jesus returns to transform this world into a true home. We have been journeying through the exilic period. That is the period you just heard about where Israel was unfaithful to God. Even though they were in the promised land, they broke covenant faithfulness to him. And as part of their discipline, they were captured by Babylon and brought hundreds and hundreds of miles away for 70 or so years. And we've, we've looked at that story in the book of Daniel and in the prophet Jeremiah and in the story of Esther. And today we conclude that series by kind of skimming through the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, which tells the story of the exiles returning back home, uh, back to Jerusalem. And what we're going to do, how we're going to read the scripture today is just a little bit interesting. Rather than reading like one big passage or several medium passages, I'm going to actually just read a, a mishmash of verses from Ezra 1 all the way to Nehemiah 13 so that you can get a picture of what's happening. And what I want you to listen for as we hear the exiles returning is this great hope that things are going to be restored and then the reality of broken people living in a broken world and just that feeling of despair. So I'm going to start off by reading the book of Ezra. This is um, this is God's word. God, I pray that you would be with us as we explore your word. May it shape us and change us. And all God's people said. From the book of Ezra, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah, the Lord roused the spirit of King Cyrus to issue a proclamation. The Lord, the God of heavens, has appointed me, that Cyrus, to build him a house, which is the temple at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people may go to Jerusalem and build the house of the Lord. After they, the Israelites, had arrived at God's house in Jerusalem, all who had returned to Jerusalem from the captivity began to build. It's good news. When the builders had laid the foundation of the Lord's temple, they sang with praise and thanksgiving to the Lord, for he is good and his faithful love to Israel endures forever. Then all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the Lord's house, the temple, had been laid. But many of the older priests, Levites, and family heads who had seen the first temple before the exile, they wept loudly when they saw the foundation of this temple. But many others shouted joyfully. The people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shouting from that of the weeping because the people were shouting so loudly and the sound was heard far away. Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. The gracious hand of his God was on him. Now Ezra had determined in his heart to study the law of the Lord, obey it, and teach its statutes and ordinances in Israel. 
The leaders approached me, this is Ezra, and said, the people of Israel, the priests and the Levites, have not separated themselves from the surrounding peoples whose detestable practices are like those of the Canaanites. The Israelite men have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their son, sons. When I, Ezra, heard this report, I tore my tunic and robe, pulled out some of my hair from my head and beard, and sat down devastated. And I said, my God, I am ashamed and embarrassed to lift my face towards you, my God. Our guilt has been terrible from the days of our ancestors until the present. We have abandoned the commands. While Ezra prayed and confessed, weeping and falling face down before the house of God, an extremely large assembly of Israelite men, women, and children gathered around him. And the people also wept bitterly. Then the priest Ezra stood up and said to them, you have been unfaithful by marrying foreign women, adding to Israel's guilt. Therefore, make a confession to the Lord, the God of your ancestors, and do his will. Separate yourself from the surrounding peoples and your foreign wives. Then all the assembly responded loudly, yes, we will do as you say. That's the book of Ezra highlights, the book of Nehemiah. When I, Nehemiah, was in the fortress city of Susa, remember Susa where Esther was? Hananiah, one of my brothers, arrived with men from Judah, and I questioned them about Jerusalem and the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. They said to me, the remnant in the province who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. Jerusalem's wall has been broken and its gates have been burned. I said to them, Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned. Come, let's rebuild Jerusalem's wall. They said, let's start rebuilding and their hands were strengthened to do this good work. So we rebuilt the wall. There was a widespread outcry from the people and their wives against their Jewish countrymen. I, Nehemiah, became extremely angry when I heard their outcry and these complaints. All the people gathered together, and they asked the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had given Israel. All the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra opened the book in full view of all the people since he was elevated above everyone. All the people stood up. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and with their hands uplifted, all the people said, amen, amen. Then they knelt low and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Levites read out of the book of the law of God, translating and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was read. Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to all of them, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, do not grieve because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites quieted all the people saying, be still. Since today is holy, do not grieve. Then all the people began to eat and drink and send portions and have a great celebration. The, the Israelites had not celebrated like this from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day. And there was tremendous joy. But then I, Nehemiah, rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this evil you are doing, profaning the Sabbath day? 
Didn't your ancestors do the same so that our God brought all this disaster on us and on this city? And now you are rekindling his anger against Israel by profaning the Sabbath? In those days, I also saw Jews who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod or the language of one of the other peoples, but could not speak Hebrew. I rebuked them, cursed them, beat some of their men, and pulled out their hair. You must not give your daughters in marriage to their sons or take their daughters as wives for your sons or yourselves. Didn't King Solomon of Israel sin in matters like this? He was loved by his God, and God made him king over all of Israel, yet foreign women drew him into sin. So I purified them from everything foreign and assigned specific duties to each of the priests and Levites. And then the book ends with Nehemiah saying, remember me, my God, with favor. Wherever you go, there you are. When I first got to seminary in St. Louis, where I was going to be trained as a pastor, we were going to learn biblical studies and we we're going to learn how to counsel people. We had to go to a chapel a couple times a week. And I remember sitting there with all the students, and on one particular chapel, a professor named Anthony Bradley was preaching, and he basically said to us, wherever you go, there you are. And it was a challenging message because I I remember what he was getting at. What he was trying to tell us who were training to be pastors was, you have been called by God. You have been set apart for ministry. You love God. You love his word. You love to see the lost come to know Jesus. You love to see people grow in Christ. All that's true. But you're also here. And and if you're not careful and you don't examine the dark parts of who you are, you will actually not be beneficial in ministry because you're unaware of your own brokenness. See, what he was getting at is that, yes, we're called by God. Yes, we love God. Yes, we want to love our neighbors. And at the same time, there's part of us, whether consciously or subconsciously, that that might be running in some way. Maybe there were some among us who had such sexual shame from the past that they felt like the only way to get rid of it was to play the role of pastor. Maybe there were some who had been told their whole life that they weren't worth anything. And so the way to prove that they were going to be worthy was to be a pastor. Maybe there were some who were struggling with addiction and didn't want to deal with it, and so they figured they could fix themselves by becoming a pastor. But Professor Bradley's warning to us was, even though you're here at seminary to train to be a pastor, you're here. Wherever you go, there you are, both in your beauty and in your brokenness. And I find that so true. Isn't it true? Like, even in South Florida, lots of people like to move here. And they move here because of the beauty, right? You come in and, like, there's sunshine most of the year. We did have a lot of rain this past week. But there's sunshine compared to the rest of the country. And so people move here because it's so beautiful and they think they're going to flourish here. But when they get here, they've brought themselves with them. And there's still broken people living in a broken world. 
Maybe you've experienced that not in moving, but in a relationship. You, you found someone that you really like, and, and there's the attraction, and there's the chemistry, and there's the compatibility. And at the same side, there's this underside that we tend to overlook where maybe we're running towards that relationship because we're trying to escape something else. But you don't realize that until you get into the relationship because wherever you go, there you are. Or maybe you're pursuing something that's like just a quality of life issue, like you want a better job or you want to make more money or you want to live in a better situation. And, and all those things are good. But, but you failed to realize that there's something in you that wants those things because you're trying to earn some status or you're trying to get a little respect. And as you examine those things, you realize you, you got a chip on your shoulder because you felt like you've never been respected. And so even though you get those new things, wherever you go, there you are. It's you in all your beauty and in all your brokenness. That's kind of what we see from Israel as they come out of exile into the promised land. They've been delivered by God from Egypt. They were originally brought into the promised land, led by Moses. Then due to their covenant unfaithfulness, they were disciplined by God and taken into exile in Babylon and Persia for 70 years. In Persia, they were saved from annihilation by Esther. And then in 586 BC, Cyrus comes to power and, and issues an edict that says anyone who's been moved around can go back to where they, they're from. And so the Israelites are like, this is great, let's go. So they go back and they, they want to rebuild the temple and they want to reinstate sacrifices and they, they want to see all these promises of God fulfilled. And Ezra's leading them and he's trying to get them to reprioritize God's command and restore the, the spirituality of the community. And Nehemiah wants to rebuild the city walls so that Jerusalem can return to its former glory and be safe. And he wants to pursue spiritual renewal. But here's the thing, whether they're in Babylon, Persia, or back home in Jerusalem, wherever they go, there they are. Wherever they go, they are broken people living in a broken world, longing for home. There's so much expectation as we read through Ezra and Nehemiah about them returning to the land and, and seeing a new kingdom established, and yet there's so much frustration at the sin of the people and their brokenness. Nehemiah's pulling out his own hair and then pulling out other people's hair because of how broken everything is. See, here, here's the first thing we, we walk away with. Wherever you go, there you are, a broken person. Even as the people go back to the land, they've been through all this discipleship. They find that in their hearts, they're still just as sinful as when they started. And we see this in a couple different ways. Here they are, these people who were oppressed by Babylon. And yet we caught just a verse in there where they're oppressing their fellow Israelites. The ones who had been victims of injustice, are now perpetrating injustice. Not only that, but they had been taken out of the land because they refused to separate themselves from foreign gods. But when they get back to the land, it, it turns out that they're marrying right back into families where God is not worshipped and other gods are. They're doing the same things that they did before they left in exile. 
And there's these moments where Ezra and Nehemiah are like reading God's word. They're just opening the scripture and reading the commands of God. And the people are overwhelmed by how broken they are. Even as they just read the law, they're so sad and sorrowful because they realize how disobedient they've been. And they make this commitment and they make this covenant with God. They're like, we won't do it anymore. And then they do it again. They do it again. And what we learn about these broken people is that the that exile has not brought transformation. It's just brought lessons. In other words, it has shaped them on the outside, but it has failed to grab them on the inside. But this is where we get one of the great promises that comes out of exile. One of the great promises is that God would come to his broken people and not just tell them what he wants them to do, but rather come inside their heart and change them and empower them to do it. While we're in exile, Jeremiah prophesies, and he says this in Jeremiah 31, look, the days are coming, this is the Lord's declaration, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. The one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, even though I am their master, the Lord's declaration. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my teaching within them and write it where? On their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. For I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sins. This promise of the new covenant is fulfilled through the gospel of Jesus for broken people. See, wherever you go, there you are. But wherever God goes, there he is. And the hope of the new covenant is that God actually comes to live in us and change us from the inside out. When the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts, he changes us. He helps us see sin as God sees it. He, he works in us a desire and a longing for change, and he empowers our transformation. So it's worth us asking this question. Wherever we go, there we are. And if we're people that are broken, it's worth us asking, God, where am I running from my own sin and brokenness rather than letting you in? How would you answer that? God, where am I running from my own sin and brokenness rather than letting you in? How might God answer that about you? See, here's the thing. Faith for exiles is a faith that's willing to tell the truth about the deep brokenness in us without despair, with great hope, because the Holy Spirit can change us from the inside out. As dark as our hearts get, so the Holy Spirit can bring light into us. And that's why we do not despair in saying, wherever you go, there you are, a broken person, because wherever God goes, God is there as well. He does his stuff in you. He changes and redeems and forgives broken people living in a broken world. And that's the second thing we learn. Wherever you go, there you are in a broken world. 
I don't have to really explain to you that the world is broken. You see it. You experience the world in all of its glory and in all of its gore, in all of its beauty, in all of its brokenness. I mean, you, you have, at the very same time in your life, you have friendships and you have foolishness, right? Those things come together. You have life and health and you have loss and harm all going on at once. Even as our church is committed to diversity, we look at diversity around the world and we see that sometimes in the midst of diversity, there is warmth between people who are not like each other. And at the same time, there is war between people who are not like each other. We live in a broken world that's full of beauty and brokenness. And we see this even as the people lay the foundation of the temple. This great symbol that God lived among them, the the institution of the temple, when they lay the foundation, did you catch that part where the younger people are cheering with great joy and all the old heads are, are wailing in pain? Because for the young people that were born in Babylon or born in Persia, they had never seen the temple before. And for them, this was something amazing that it was was being built. But for all the people that were older who had had been born in Jerusalem and then gotten forced in exile and were coming back, it was such a letdown. Because the former temple, the temple of Solomon, was beautiful and was glorious And 70 years later, all they can think about is the pain and the loss that they've been through. Their lives have been wasted in Babylon. And so even as the younger people cheer, the older older people wail. The older people wail. We do live in a broken world. Wherever you go, there you are living in a broken world. But this, this, this helps us see Another one of great, God's great promises that comes out of the time of exile. We're, we're about to start Advent, and Advent is the season of expectation. It's, it's the season where we remember that Christ came and that he'll come again. And during that time, we, we read these really familiar passages from the Old Testament about the Messiah who was coming. But a lot of those passages come out of this time of exile. The the people longing in the midst of a broken world for someone to enter in. The great promise of exile is not just the spirit coming, but Jesus coming. And, And as we think about wherever we go, there we are living in a broken world. Wherever God goes, there he is, and he is Jesus entering into a broken world. Jesus enters into our broken world in the midst of joy, in the midst of wailing in the midst of beauty and brokenness of what it means to be human. He he comes in not blinded by nostalgia, thinking about all the days gone by and wishing that things had been like they used to be before humans fell into sin, nor does he ignore the pervasiveness of sin. Rather, Jesus comes into a broken world to seek and save the lost and make all things new. Renew all things. Not make all new things, but make all things new. 
Jesus sees the pervasiveness of brokenness in this world that overwhelms you and I, that makes us lose sleep at night or just want to go to sleep and ignore the darkness around us. Jesus sees it all, and he is not intimidated one bit. He will bring forth righteousness and justice and peace and mercy to every square inch of God's creation when he returns. And so as we think about ourselves, wherever we go, there we are in a broken world. We are reminded that where Jesus goes, there he is. He entered in. He didn't have to. He wanted to come near. And so faith for exiles is a faith that isn't blinded by sin. It doesn't ignore the brokenness in this world. It doesn't feel the need to burn everything down because it's so sinful. But rather, faith for exiles finds hope in Jesus who entered into our brokenness. How many of you want to go near something that's broken and messed up? None of us do. We all want to stay safe, but not Jesus. Jesus came near into this brokenness and lived the life we should have lived and died the death we deserve to die in order that through his death we might live. Faith for exiles then runs to Jesus and then is an ambassador for Jesus in the midst of the brokenness of our world. Finally, faith for exiles says, wherever you go, no matter what job you get or no matter what place you move or no matter what salary is increased, wherever you go, you're not home yet. And that key word, yet, is important. Because a return from exile for Israel and a return from exile for us broken people living in a broken world isn't just a quality of life switch. It's not just getting out of a bad living situation. It's ultimately about a return to God face to face. Or, as the Bible says, God actually returning to us. That's how the Bible ends. The Bible ends with the end of exile because God returns and rejoins heaven and earth. See, wherever we go, there we are. We're not home yet, but we will be home when God comes to us. As the worship team comes back forward, I want to ask you this question as you sense the beauty and brokenness in this, in this world, we are so tempted often to put our hope in smaller things. But where's your ultimate hope? Is your ultimate hope that Christ will return and make all things new? The name of our church, New City, comes from the end of the Bible, the end of exile, the end of broken people living in a broken world, the end of not living before God. See, faith for exiles ultimately hopes in this passage from Revelation 21. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. That that means there's no more chaos. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. 
We're finally home with God. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. He also said, right, because these words are faithful and they are true. A broken person living in a broken world, if you know Jesus Christ, you have a great hope. You have the ultimate hope that nothing in this world, including death, can take away from you. One day you will live the rest of eternity face to face with Jesus Christ, who will make everything sad come untrue. And there will be no more gore, but only glory. There will be no more brokenness, but only beauty. We will live at home with God. Let that sink into your heart again today. Let your deepest longings be for that day. Anything else cannot sustain you amidst the hardships of being a broken person in a broken world. Long for the day when we will see Jesus face to face. Let me pray. Thank you for joining with us as we rooted deep in God's word. If you found this sermon encouraging, share it with a friend. You can learn more about New City by going to newcityhh.com or checking us out on social media by searching New City HH. We'll see you next week.